Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. Episode 91 today, folks, and I'm excited for this one. Dr. Stephen Gundry is my guest today, and you'll hear throughout this interview why this is so personal to me and why it matters. Dr. Gundry was a famed cardiologist, famed heart surgeon for many, many years, but he shifted the focus of his practice about 20 years ago to looking at the role of diet in our overall health. But he has turned what he's learned into his practice into a number of best-selling books. He has a brand new book out just last month, Unlocking the Keto Code, the revolutionary new science of keto that offers more benefits without deprivation. It's a great book, but I, I would recommend you actually start with his earlier book, The Plant Paradox. And that is the book that my wife and I started reading and the diet that we started following maybe six, seven months ago now. And honestly, it has changed our life. And I'm not a diet person, but Dr. Gundry, his whole premise is that the health of your gut is linked to your overall health. And that was appealing to us. And you'll hear why in the interview. I talk about my wife's situation in that and uh, stay tuned for that, I guess. But when you research what Dr. Gundry has had to say, his premise is that we have really destroyed our guts in the modern era. Our gut is made up of all these little microbes that help us digest food and help give us energy and, and do all these things. But we are killing those gut microbes every day, in part because of chemicals like glyphosate. That's the main chemical that makes up Roundup. So glyphosate's all over the environment. That gets in and kills our gut microbes. And antibiotics, especially when we talk about meats and things like that that are raised in you know a factory farm type situation, the animals that we eat are fed tremendous amounts of antibiotics because they're kept in really disgusting, unsanitary conditions, and the antibiotics keep them alive long enough to slaughter and turn into meat. So the meat you're eating at your supermarket often, the meat you're eating at a fast food place, certainly, it's loaded with these antibiotics. When you eat that food, it kills the microbes in your gut. And then there's also this thing that he talks about called lectins, and that is a chemical compound within certain plants that acts as a defense mechanism. Plants don't necessarily want to be eaten. And so they have this substance called lectins that essentially makes people sick when they eat them. And you can imagine if you were a little bug, you know, trying to eat a, a tomato plant or something, the bug could die from those lectins. In humans, it takes a lot of accumulation of that to... Uh, to actually hurt us, but the lectins are there nonetheless. And you might be saying to yourself, wait a second, like, what is this? We've been eating certain foods for hundreds or thousands of years. Like, my grandmother grew up making tomato sauce. How is it that it could harm me now? And that's kind of the other leg of the stool of what Dr. Gundry has to say, is that there are traditional preparation methods that our ancestors understood really well that we have all but abandoned now. Things like peeling and de-seeding tomatoes. Corn was always fermented as hominy, lots of things like that that we think of as healthy foods that actually aren't. So the broad strokes of this plant paradox diet, gluten-free, sugar-free, lots of veggies, very limited fruits and only fruits in season, pastured and grass-fed meats, pastured eggs. When I tell you it has changed our life, for myself, I had a beer gut that is completely gone. I've lost, I don't know, probably 25 pounds. It wasn't necessarily weight that I felt like I needed to lose, but it just happened as a consequence of this diet. I have more energy now. I actually have a lot of muscle mass without having to work out at all. And I was 
trying for years to, you know, exercise more and do things like that. And just by changing my diet, I actually look more muscular. You know, there's just, there have been major changes in how I feel and how I look. And uh, it's been great for me. But again, keep listening and, and you'll hear me talk to Dr. Gundry about my wife's situation as well. So my wife first found Dr. Gundry through a podcast interview he had done with Jay Shetty. If you're interested in learning more about the Gundry diet, I would listen to that interview, go to On Purpose with Jay Shetty. And that interview was really kind of the the definitions of all these terms and the overview and just understanding what his whole thing was. The one thing I will say about this interview, I had two different approaches in my head. One idea was to do what Jay Shetty had already done and try to summarize lectins and the, the issues with our agricultural system and things like that. But I feel like that's been done. That's out there. You can go listen to that. I have my own questions for Dr. Gundry after being on this diet for six months, after experiencing some of the feedback that I get from friends and family members that sort of see how we're dealing with this diet. And so I decided to go with that approach in my questioning. So I apologize if some of it is uh, incomplete or you just, you know, over your head if you haven't read the books yet. Hopefully there's still some good stuff in this interview that you can take away, but hopefully you'll want to learn more too. The main thing that we've learned about the plant paradox diet, it's not necessarily about what you're eating. It's more about eliminating the foods that are causing you harm. A lot of people have been asking for recipes and, and just techniques and how we've done it. So I did want to shout out real quick to my wife just launched a new Instagram and YouTube which is really just her sharing these recipes with the family and friends that have asked and wanted to learn more. But they are public, so if you're interested in learning more about this diet and how we've approached it anyways, my wife's handle on both Instagram and YouTube is at Seema Bites, S-E-E-M-A-B-I-T-E-S. She has all sorts of cool lectin-free recipes that we've learned because you need replacements when you start a diet. You can't just eliminate things without having something to fill that hole. So, She's been on that project for the last month or so. It's very cool. And Dr. Gundry's new book plays into all that as well, Unlocking the Keto Code. So check out that book. Check out the original Plant Paradox book. Check out the interview with Jay Shetty if you want to learn more after hearing this interview. Here it is, my conversation with Dr. Stephen Gundry. I want to start with just kind of a big picture question about the last two years. How has this kind of COVID period been for you? Well, I, I continue to see patients uh, six days a week, oh, um, wow. even on the weekends. And actually, on usually on Fridays, I'm at uh, Gundry MD, which is my supplement and food company uh, in, in LA. So actually, I've continued to work uh, seven days a week all through COVID. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. That's wild. Do you have you heard about I mean obviously so much of your research is focusing on the way we eat and what we eat and things like that has the pandemic changed people's diets or or maybe changed their their willingness to go on a, a program like the plant paradox We've had two sorts of people quite frankly um a lot of people during the pandemic have been eating for comfort, eating for stress, eating for boredom. Yeah. And a lot of people uh, have become pre-diabetic, insulin resistant uh, that weren't previously. A lot of people's exercise programs have changed. You know, the gyms have been closed for the most part. And weather often prevents you from doing outside exercise as much as you'd want to. 
So yeah, that's changed. On the other hand, we've had a number of people who have taken this opportunity to say, well, what the heck? I'm in my house. I, I, I can't go out to eat. Um, take out is a pain in the neck. I'm going to learn to cook or I'm going to go back to cooking. And it's it's really interesting. They they really divide into, into two groups of people. And some of our most beautiful results in terms of blood work, in terms of outcomes, have been during the pandemic where people say, you know, I got nothing better to do. I'm going to concentrate on me. Yeah. Well, my wife and I definitely fall into that latter camp. We've been trying to be a lot more conscious, both about cooking our own food and sort of the sourcing of it really for the last two years. But if it's all right, I'd love to share just sort of how my wife found you and some of her story. Oh, yeah, I'd love to hear story. it. Yeah. So she had thyroid cancer back in 2019, had half of her thyroid removed. And even like going through that process, she just kept saying, I don't know where this is coming from. Like I've eaten healthy. You know, she was in her mid 30s at this time. And they took out half of her thyroid, put her on meds and figured she'd be on hormones for the rest of her life. And she just kept saying, something doesn't feel right about this. And she's a big fan of Jay Shetty's, happened to see you were on his podcast. She yeah. said, well, who is this Dr. Gundry? Let me just listen to this and, you know, see what I can learn. And she listened to your interview and then went and got the book, The Plant Paradox, immediately after that. And as she was reading it, she didn't even finish reading the whole thing. She said, okay, we're implementing this diet. Let's try it. And I said, okay, what do we have to lose? Why not? The first three weeks, she felt so much better and so different. She went to her doctor and said, I want to run some blood work because I think something has changed in my body and I want to see what's going on. And the doctor ran the blood work and they said, yeah, your, your thyroid levels are just so much better. You have the choice. You could uh, take half a dose of your medicine or maybe even stop taking it, see how you feel. And she said, well, let's try a half. Let's see another three weeks. So six weeks into the plant paradox, did the blood work again. They said, yeah, I think you're good to go off meds completely. And she's been off them now for a while. It's been probably three or four months. And uh, she is all in. She does not want to look back. <laughs> she's she's just so thankful. But you must hear stories like that all the time from people. Like, what are we missing, I guess, in kind of our modern diet or modern medical program, I guess, that just is, is making so many people get sick in their, you know, in their 30s sometimes? Well, you know, I have a, I have a joke that, you know, sickness is good for business. And <laughs> For a doctor, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there's sadly, if you look actually at the board of directors of most major medical schools, most major agribusinesses, and most pharmaceutical companies, they all intertwine. Yeah. And uh, this was an expose by the New York Times a few years ago. And it's actually shocking that, you know, this, these three pillars would co-mingle. And it's in a way, a sickness is, is really good for lots of businesses. There's a, there's a word I used, uh, I think, in one of my books. Uh, the German word for hospital is Krankenhaus, um, sick house. Yeah. You used to go to the hospital, you know, because you were sick. And, and now we have these sprawling healthcare systems that uh, the last thing they're interested in, in is health. I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, years ago, I was contacted by a group of uh, large businesses in, in a major Midwestern city uh, that has a, a medical school and uh, a very good healthcare system. And they called me up and said, hey, would you be interested in, you know, setting up a healthy eating program for all of our employees? 
And I said, yeah, but, you know, you've got a great medical school in town and, you know, you've got some Nobel laureates, blah, blah, blah. And they said, oh, yeah, we've already met with them. And uh, I said, yeah. And they said, well, they basically said, why in the world would we want to set up a healthy eating program for your employees? Because that would ruin our business. And I said, well, at least they were honest. <laughs> and they said, yeah, but that that was their approach. So. Yeah, it's just one example. I mean, I think about that just, you know, we have two kids and even the hospital stays like when the kids are born and you see the menu in the hospital and it's just it's kind of, you know, microwave garbage that like, yeah. you know, comes from these big food processors. And I think you know, what you touched on there, kind of the pharmaceutical piece and the agribusiness piece, how all these things are intertwined. I feel like that that seeps up to a policy level too. And so a lot of these things that we've been taught to trust, you know, the food pyramid or, you know, even just a, a lot of doctors, especially younger doctors that I've had, and you say, oh, you know, I've noticed just some pains in my stomach. And they say, well, why don't you try, you know, Pepsid or try this prescription, see how that does. And I said, well, is it something I'm eating? <laughs> like, there's got to be a reason. There, like, I don't want to just treat a symptom, but so many people, like the information that we're given, I, I feel like that is a hurdle that you must have to overcome a lot where people, they're so ingrained with a certain way of thinking that you should have so much cereal a day or, you know, things like that. Knowing that there are those forces at work, how do you, how do you figure out how to talk against that grain? Well, it's, I guess it's difficult to to overcome those uh, those perceptions. I'll give you a great example. I had um, former head of the FDA, Donald Kessler, on my podcast a while back, and he was actually the guy who originated the uh, nutrient label on oh, the back yeah, of the with the calories and the fat. Yeah, and with that. the calories and the you know carbohydrates and sugars. And he tells the story that um, when he came up with the label, sent it over to the White House. And next thing he knows, the White House is on the phone and said, get over here. Uh, you need to meet with the secretary of the Department of Agriculture right now. So he gets on over and the secretary of Agriculture says, you, you can't make a label like this. You can't tell people how much sugar is in our products. Yeah. And he said, but that's how much sugar is in there. And he said, but you can't tell them that you will ruin agribusiness. I'm, you know, I'm in the business of protecting agribusiness. And he said, well, what do you want me to do? That's the truth. And he said, no, you're going to hide the sugar. And so he, he goes on to show how, for instance, uh, a bagel about 300 calories, and you actually see that it says zero sugar on the label. And he says, well, that's actually not true. You have to look at total carbohydrates, and there's like 44 grams of total carbohydrates. And he said, then you look at the fiber, and there was zero fiber in the bagel. He says, so there's actually 44 grams of sugar in that bagel. And as I write in my books, for fun, there's four grams of carbohydrates in a teaspoon of sugar. Yeah. So you divide that. There's actually 11 teaspoons of sugar in that sugar-free bagel label. <laughs> that are hidden and in all these other things. Yeah, yeah, and he uses that as an example. Uh, so it's all there to hide the truth. Yeah. One of the core things that you talk about across your books is this concept of lectins and again, I feel like, so my wife, just knowing her health problems and knowing 
that she was looking for a solution, I think, was was very eager with your readings. And it's funny because when I read your book, like I feel like if I had read it a month earlier, I would have been skeptical. But I just happened to read a book um, right before I read The Plant Paradox. Uh, it's called The Hidden Life of Trees. It's by a German forester named Peter yep. Wolleben. And it, it's all about how trees communicate with each other and the, the chemical compounds that they give off to help fight off pests. And so literally, like I finished that book, I pick up The Plant Paradox, and you're talking about how plants have these defense mechanisms. And like it, it's just funny sort of how things in life like that work and the sequence <laughs> serendipity of but, exactly but i, I guess i want to kind of zoom out too and t- because your past life was as a cardiologist and now you spent you know 20 years in this kind of nutrition space and health space what was it that first led you to sort of uncover what lectins are and and want to to shift the focus of your practice? Well, actually, you have to go back to the dark ages when I was in college at Yale University. And back in those dark ages, we could design our own major at Yale. Uh And I I decided to uh, investigate human evolution. And you had to have a thesis. My thesis was that you could manipulate a great ape's food supply and its environment and prove you derive a human being. Hmm. And I actually wrote my thesis and defended it and got an honors uh, for it and then gave my thesis to my parents and went off to become a very famous art surgeon. Anyhow, fast forward when I was uh, professor and chairman of cardiothoracic surgery at Loma Linda University here in Southern California. Uh, I was very famous for operating on people who nobody else would take on, too dangerous or hopeless. And I I met a guy who I call Big Ed in all my books. He's a real person from Miami, Florida. He was 48 years old. He had inoperable coronary artery disease. That means there were so many clogged up arteries that you couldn't put stints in them. You couldn't do bypasses because there wasn't any place to land a bypass. And people like Big Ed would go around the country to various centers uh, looking for idiots like myself to operate on And he had spent six months before I met him getting turned down at all these centers. And when I met him, the reason I call him Big Ed, he weighed 265 pounds when I met him. And I looked at the angiogram of his heart, the movie of the blood vessels that he had had six months earlier. And I said, you know, I got to agree with everybody else. I'd love to help you, but they're right. There's nothing I can do for you. And he said, well, just a minute. This has been six months. I've been on a diet. I've lost 45 pounds in six months. And I went to a health food store and I bought all these supplements. He had this big shopping bag of supplements. And he said, you know, maybe I did something in here. And, you know, I'm scratching my professor beard and going, well, you know, good for you for losing weight, but that's not going to help anything in here. And I know what you did with those supplements. You made expensive urine. That's what I actually believe. And so he said, well, come on. I'm here. Why don't we do another angiogram? And I went, okay. So we get another angiogram. And in six months time, this guy has cleaned out 50% of the blockages in his heart. They're gone. Yeah. In six months. And I'm going, what the heck? And I said, tell me about this diet that you've done. And he starts talking about what he was doing. And I go, wait a minute. That's the ancient human diet that I did my thesis on. And let me see those supplements. And I was famous for protecting the heart during heart transplant and a lot of catheters named after me. And I was putting 
things down the veins and arteries of the heart to protect them. And he's swallowing the same stuff. Now, it never occurred to me to swallow it. Yeah. So I got my thesis back from my parents. Uh, I was very overweight. I was obese. And I put myself on my program and started taking a bunch of supplements. And I lost 50 pounds my first year. And I lost 70 subsequently total. Um, kept it off for 25 years now. Wow. So I put my patients that I operated on on this program after I operated on them with the idea that I don't ever want to see you again. You know, yeah. here's, here's the way to avoid me in the future. And we had such good results. Their diabetes went away. Their arthritis went away. Their high blood pressure went away. Their cholesterol changed dramatically. That after a year at Loma Linda of doing this, I said, I made a you know, horrible mistake. I shouldn't operate on these people and then teach them how to eat. I should teach them how to eat. And then I won't have to operate on them. Now, right. for a heart surgeon, that's really stupid. Bad <laughs> career move, as my wife reminds me all the time. So I actually resigned my position and set up a, a clinic in Palm Springs and subsequently now uh, here in Santa Barbara, where I just ask people, hey, I want you to avoid certain foods that we were never designed to eat evolutionary. And I want you to go to Costco or Trader Joe's or the health food store and buy some supplements. And I want to do blood work on you every three months that insurance will pay for. And let's see what happens. And so, you know, through 20 odd years now of learning from my patients, we found out what foods were the troublemakers and what foods were great to eat. And, you know, subsequently that resulted in the plant paradox, which will celebrate its fifth anniversary in April. It's been translated into 36 foreign languages and, uh, Millions of people have, have read it. And like your wife, I get stories all the time, not only from my patients, but from all over the world of, you know, somebody's life was changed just by rule number one is it's not what I tell you to eat that's important. It's what I tell you not to eat that yeah. is important. So lectins are a part of the plant defense system against being eaten. Yeah. They don't want to be eaten. They have a life. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting just kind of the evolutionary piece of that too, that you're talking about human evolution and plant evolution. Like it's this whole system that's that's grown over millions of years. And there is this section in the plant paradox. I've got it open in front of me. It's it goes it starts on page sixty-eight and goes to the top of page seventy. That's just all the different diseases that you sort of uh tie to lectins and they are seemingly unrelated when you, I mean, aching joints, acid reflux, acne, anemia, canker sores. I'm just pulling random ones out here. Headaches, low testosterone. It, it seems crazy, I guess, to people on the surface that these diseases would all be related. But it also, I'm curious why it seems that we're seeing such a spike over the last, I don't know, call it 30, 40 years that like we didn't have these these chronic health problems nearly as much in the in the 60s or you know the 20s right. or the 1800s right. what is it about our modern food system our modern health system that's that's really seen a rise in all this well there's you know there's been some dramatic changes in in agriculture number 1 there's a quote from the US Senate that basically said our soil is so depleted of nutrients 
that we could eat uh, food grown in our soil every day to huge amounts and never get enough nutrients into our body. And like when I give lectures to doctors, I go, you know, when do you think this document was generated? And they'll go, oh, you know, 2000 or maybe 1990. Well, it was 1936. (laughs) And I mean, they knew then that our soils were so worthless from, you know, aggressive agriculture. And it's only got worse now. Uh, So that's number one. Number two Cultures have always figured out that whole grains are really bad for you. I I like to use the example, two billion people use rice as their staple. And yet two billion people go to the trouble of taking the hull off of brown rice and they eat it white. Why? Because the lectins are in the hull of the rice. For centuries, people have tried to make bread white to get the haul off of whole wheat because they felt better when they were eating, you know, white bread. I mean, can you imagine the Italians having whole wheat pasta? Really? (laughs) Or the French having a whole wheat croissant? It's like, well, they've been doing that because the vast majority of the lectins are in the halls of these grains and they've been getting rid of it for centuries. Yeah. Uh, And it wasn't until really the seventies that, you know, healthy whole grains suddenly reappeared in our diet and we weren't designed to eat healthy whole grains. Yeah. It's interesting too. You were saying earlier just about like it's foods that we were not designed to eat originally. Right. Like, and the timelines that you've laid out in your books are millions of years, not hundreds of years. Just like, because I, I struggle with that, I think of just, well, this is what, you know, my great grandparents would have eaten back in an old country or something. And, you know, th- there is such a, such a cultural piece. I think even of just breads we were talking about, like, you know, I grew up in the Catholic faith and that's a huge part of the ritual of, of the mass. And, and here it is, you know, if it's not, prepared correctly, it could be harming us. I think it's a it's a mental block for some people that they hear that and they just say, well, I grew up eating this or, you know, my culture has eaten this for a hundred years or a thousand years. Like when you break it down and, and I guess look at that long timeline, it is a very different view of our diets, right? Oh yeah. I mean, humans never ate a grain until 10,000 years ago, never ate a bean until 10,000 years ago. Rice was only grown 8,000 years ago. Humans were actually about six feet tall before the dawn of agriculture. Hmm. And we actually shrunk over a foot in 2,000 years after agriculture started. Just from a lack of nutrients. Just just from actually the damage that lectins did to our bones. Oh, wow. You know, Hippocrates, you know, I wish I had thought of this, but Hippocrates 2,500 years ago said all disease begins in the gut. And... He's right, number one. Uh, How we knew this, I have no idea. But, you know, we now have sophisticated tests to to show that, in fact, all disease begins in a leaky gut. And lectins are one of the best ways anybody's ever found to produce a leaky gut. Inflammation comes from leaky gut. And everybody goes, oh, you know, we have to eat anti-inflammatory foods. 
Well, the problem with that is, you know, I live in California where wildfires kind of are the norm now. Yeah. Let's call wildfires inflammation. I, trying to fight a wildfire with a garden hose is equivalent to eating anti-inflammatory foods when you've got the wildfire of inflammation raging through your body. It's, it's just a garden hose. Yeah. You've got to cut out that wildfire, the lectins in this case, before yeah. you can start treating it. No, it's true. And the inflammation thing is so interesting to me too, because you know I, I'm 37, I guess I'll be 38 soon. And I've noticed, you know, I'm down two pant sizes in the six months or so that I've been on this diet and just my face has changed. Like I used to, I used to have kind of puffier cheeks and things that really only started like in my early thirties maybe. And, and as I look around, a lot of people of my generation, it seems like, I don't know that this was happening even 20 years ago that just like, we're all getting heavier, but it's not necessarily fat. It's, it's bloating almost, you know what I mean? Like I'm sure yeah. you see it with your patients too. And, and that was something my wife described to her doctors a lot was just, I'm gaining weight, but it's not, it's not fat. It feels like it's water. And they didn't know what to do with that. And like uh, how big of an issue, I guess, is inflammation and, and even recognizing that versus just, you know, obesity or, or, you know, having excess fat. Well, that was, in a way, the, the subject of my last book, The Energy Paradox, in that we're a nation of, of chronic fatigue now, of low energy. And I'm reminded, I, I did a fellowship uh, in London, England, for pediatric uh, sur heart surgery at Great Ormond Street. And I had a, a cardiology fellow who took his family to Disney World. Yeah. And he came back. And he says, you know, you, you people, you people, you Americans are a nation of balloon people. And I thought initially that he was talking about all the little balloons that the kids <laughs> at Disney World were right. carrying around. Yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody's got a little balloon, you know, Minnie and Mickey. And I said, oh, you mean, you know, all the balloons? He says, no. He says, you guys look like you're stuffed balloons, every one of you. Yeah. And when you actually, you know, get away from America and look at, quote, normal people, um, we really are uh, this nation of, of balloon people. And you're right, you and your wife have noticed that. But this is all just, we're just giant balls of inflammation, not just fat. We are fat, there's yeah. no doubt about it. But yeah, we're, we're puffy. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of even, you know, I was never somebody that was considered overweight at all. You know, um, I, I was, I thought a healthy weight, but I just assumed, okay, I'm getting older, my metabolism slowing, you know, we kind of make all these excuses, but then you start eating right. And all of a sudden, yeah, my, my cheeks are thinner and my waist is smaller. My beer gut's completely gone. It's just, it's a whole different, uh, whole different look. Yeah. And that beer gut is, I mean, a classic marker for inflammation Yeah, because the inflammation actually starts by leaky gut and leaky gut is not some pseudoscience. Uh, Dr. Alessio Fasano who's now at Harvard in your neck of the woods actually proved the mechanism that of how lectins, uh, gluten in particular, uh, causes leaky gut. And 80% of our immune system lines our gut down in our belly. And it's no wonder that when we are fighting a war, 
all of our troops are concentrated down in our gut and they need supply lines. They need you know, fuel. Yeah. And so the classic beer gut or the deli belly um, is actually all this fueled for this ongoing war that's going down on in our gut. Yeah. No, it's, it's such a different world when you, when you think about it that way. And I want to ask you too, just about sort of the adaptability of this diet too. And it's part of what I, what really struck me about it, I guess, is here's my wife coming to it from a health standpoint and just saying, I want to feel better. I want to look normal. I don't want to have all this inflammation. What really stood out to me were some of the more environmental concerns and animal rights concerns and things that just instead of eating industrial meat, I could be eating grass fed or pastured or, you know, just things like that or local organic produce is is much better and in-season fruit than things that are being trucked in, you know, from from your side of the country to mine. Um, And I guess that leads me to the new book as well, Unlocking the Keto Code, which it's a lot of new information, but the core of it is still very plant paradox. And I feel like it, you, you have this kind of core belief system that can reach different people in different ways, if that makes sense. Is that like, I, I guess, talk to me, I guess, just about the bigger picture of, of where unlocking the keto code fits in and, and why, why you wrote this book for right now. Yeah, each, each book uh, actually is uh, feeds on a previous book or something I've learned in a previous book, or I've learned from my patients that I think is well worth somebody's reading. A lot of what I've done in the last 20 years is tell people I was wrong about something, or I've changed my mind about something because, you know, I look at the research I've now been spending 20 odd years looking at my patient's data and, you know, we are constantly fiddling with foods, constantly fiddling with supplements and looking at what happens. And when I was writing the energy paradox, I I had a chapter about ketones and a ketogenic diet. And as you know, I have a ketogenic version of the plant paradox chapter 10. And interestingly enough, that, ketogenic version uh, has a lot of carbohydrates in it. And yet it was incredibly effective for my patients. And so I was researching and I used to say, look, you know, ketones make you an efficient fat burner, turbocharges your mitochondria. It makes you rev up your energy production and that's why you lose weight. And so when I like to back up what I say with literature, I started looking at the literature and I went, oops, uh, that's not what ketones do at all. They are not some super fuel. They are not actually revving up your energy production. They're doing completely the opposite. So I actually talked to my uh, publisher and I said, holy cow, you know, I, I, I have to write a book about this because number one, I was wrong. And number two, this finding of how ketones work literally unlocks a, a huge amount of powerful information that we can add to our you know daily habits to improve our health, to lose weight if we want to lose weight but also to live uh, you know, a great long life, a, a great health span, as well as a great lifespan. I mean, we all want to live a long time, but none of us want to get old. 
Yeah. And and when we look at what's happening, you know, to our parents' generation and now my generation, the idea of you know, drooling in your oatmeal at the nursing home doesn't look very inviting. Yeah. And that could be five years of your life, potentially. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, so this this book, it, it's actually, it's it's a longevity book hidden in, in a keto diet book. And yeah, it's, it's actually how you can do, get the benefits of a ketogenic diet without the misery of a high fat, low carb diet. Yeah. Well, I, I had a friend that was on a keto diet and I remember being in a restaurant with him one time and he ordered a, uh, a burger without the bun with like cheese on it. And then he said, and bring me a plate of bacon on the side too. And I remember just looking at it and thinking like, you, you're going to be dead in like three years at this rate. Like it just, it, something wasn't adding up to me about like nothing about what he was doing seemed healthy, but yet he was doing it to lose weight. And you go deep into that in this book of just sort of how the keto diet has been framed wrong and how you can leverage the idea behind it and get the results without having to eat, you know, a tray of bacon every day. Yeah. Um, there's been some really great human research coming out of the University of Sydney in Australia, looking at almost all animals, including humans, have an innate drive to seek out carbohydrates. And any of us who have children, or now grandchildren for me, know that uh, it is impossible to deprive kids of carbohydrates as, as much as you may want to. Yeah. 60% of people on a ketogenic diet quit after a month because they, or they break it because they just have this incredible carbohydrate, you know, craving that yeah. eventually gets the best of them. Yeah, no, it's a whole different thing. And and I wanted to ask you too, you mentioned before just about looking at this research again and, and looking at the data and you talk in Unlocking the Keto Code about the role of research and that you're not trying to uncover something new necessarily, but are searching again and, and looking at, at sort of your past conclusions. And I feel like for a guy in your position who's got best-selling books and you know all this, it could be easy to coast on that, right? Like you could just say, no, I've, I've said it, I've looked at it, here's the thing. Like, what is it in you that, that drives that curiosity or that wants to keep exploring and keep looking for answers, even if they, they contradict or you know, shift the way that you've previously thought? Well, when I, I was a fellow at the NIH and my mentor and my boss, Andrew G. Morrow, gathered his new fellows in a room. And he said, uh, gentlemen, he says, first of all, uh, there is nothing new to be learned. And we all, you know, are apoplectic and we're staring <laughs> at each other. Well, what are we here? You know, yeah. we're, we're here, we're here to do research. And he says, but there's a lot to be relearned. And he said, the purpose of research is to look again and, you know, you're here to look again. And as long as you approach that, that idea, and I think that that really has fundamentally led me to realize that 
no matter what I believe, uh, it's always important to question your beliefs, even if you believe it to your core. And because uh, nothing ever gets done without, you know, questioning conventional wisdom, there would be no, uh, no advances. Yeah. I want to ask you too, just about that, you know, belief systems and things that like you write in this new book about mitochondria in a very personified way. And, you know, in the paradox, you talk a lot about gut microbes and, and again, kind of personify them and not just the personification, I guess, but realizing that they are separate entities from us almost that are living within our bodies and, and helping us function as life. I wonder sort of that and then the evolution piece of just looking at how plants and animals evolve and our diets evolved. Like, what does that do to just sort of your worldview or even like your, your universe view of just sort of, you know, what are we as humans and, you know, how, what is this world we exist in when like you can see as much activity as you would in, you know, if you looked at New York City or Beijing, if you look through a microscope and see what's happening in mitochondria, like that must just, to me, that was mind blowing and just completely reframed how I think about the world. But like, does it blow your mind too, I guess? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the original Men in Black movie had, uh, they're, they're looking for the the galaxy on Orion's belt. Um, and the galaxy turns out at the end of the movie that Orion is the name of the cat, for those of you who haven't seen it. And he's got a little ball on his collar. Uh, that looks uh, like a little globe. And at the end of the movie, they're looking into this little ball from, and as they go deeper and deeper and deeper in this little ball is, is an entire advanced civilization, you know, in micro. And originally one of the titles for the plant paradox was going to be the galaxy diet. Um, and it got rejected, but that's okay. Because I was so fascinated that we now know that there's this, you know, entire universe living within us that has, wasn't known about until 12 years ago when the human microbiome project was, you know, was finished. We didn't even know these guys existed. Um, and to discover now with the every passing year that this, uh, you know, these hundreds of trillions of microbes literally control everything that's going to happen to us. Um, They control our emotions. Then when you realize that mitochondria are actually engulfed bacteria from 2 billion years ago in evolution, and that they have their own DNA and they can divide and multiply separate from the cell they live in dividing and that they actually have a communication system with their sisters, the microbiome that lives in our gut. And, you know, when this communication system was discovered about 12 years ago, uh, got the Nobel prize, by the way, for medicine, that there is a to and fro talk between the gut microbiome and our mitochondria. And yeah, you're right. You, you just go, <laughs> this is so bizarre. And you, it's for, you know, humans to, to think that, you know, we're the greatest of all time. And that's, you know, and our brain is the greatest of all time. And to think 
that probably most of what happens to us is controlled by how we treat uh, the set of bugs that live in our gut. And, you know, I I knew Jack LaLanne, who really was the godfather of fitness. Um, I knew him in his later years. Yeah. And Jack LaLanne used to say, you know, if it tastes good, spit it out. And some of my advisors say, will you stop saying that? Uh, I said, well, no, no, no. What he was actually saying, because I I know what he was trying to say, is that we should be eating for our gut microbiome. He didn't know they exist, but we should be eating for them. Because if we give them what they want to eat, they will take care of us. Uh, Instead of eating for this two by three inch piece of muscle. And I think that's, one of the principles that has made this book so popular is that we've got this, we've got this eating thing all wrong. Let's, let's eat for them. And that's what the new book really goes into expanding. Okay. You know, here's the latest tricks that I've learned, you know, in 20 years. And, and here's why you ought to incorporate some of these tricks. Yeah. It, it's funny you talk about eating for the microbiome. Like we went on vacation about a month ago and there was a little cheese shop in the in the place we were staying. And we said, okay, yeah, let's go in and we'll get some nice things. And we bought some sheep's cheese. They had some grass-fed beef that we bought. And then they had like a, a plate of mixed olives. And we said, oh yeah, we'll take some of those. We're all just eating them raw and they tasted amazing. The next morning we wake up, my wife and my daughter both were um, like having rashes all night and, and very itchy. And I was having like gut issues. It just, you know, something didn't feel right. My wife was thinking, I said, what do we, what do we, and she says, you know what? I'll bet it was the oil that the olives were in. And she called the place and said, okay, um, we bought some of the mixed olives last night. What are they, what are the ingredients of that? And they said, well, it's olives, it's this, and it's, it's sunflower oil. She says, oh, and it's oh. Just, like when you're, when you're in tune with that. And, and I think the points you make in the book is just that we were as a species for a long time. And now not unlike me with gaining weight, it's just like, well, that's, that's metabolism or that's aging or whatever. It's easy to write off or to just be completely detached from that. And the more you can feed those gut buddies and, you know, be in tune with what they want, it, it really does change your whole perception of health. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, not a not a day goes by that I don't, you know, hear from somebody or see a patient just, you know, their, their life just changes. Uh, in fact, I was walking the dogs this morning, uh, and a car comes out of a, a, a driveway, and lady rolls down her window and says, "Doctor Gundry," and I go, "Oh, great," you know, I, I, and they she said, "Oh, you." such a big fan. You changed our lives. This is my son. You know, he had such and such a problem. He doesn't have it anymore. He's, you know, he's a really happy teenager and thank you so much. And so, you know, it's, uh, that's why I do this because uh, people need to know this. We've, we've just thought that all these, you know, crazy things, all these autoimmune diseases are just kind of our fate. Yeah. And it, it's not, nobody had these things. And now, you know, 80% of the TV commercials are, are for, you know, oh, I feel so great with my autoimmune disease because I take so-and-so and, you know, I can, I can eat what I want and I can do what I want. And I see so many people on, you know, immunosuppressant drugs and I go, look, you know, I'm a, I'm a heart transplant surgeon and I didn't put 
a heart in you. So what the heck are you doing on a transplant drug? And they go, what do you mean? And I said, these are transplant drugs. You know, they, these are not good for you. Yeah. And that, that gets their attention. It's tough though, because there it's, we talked about the beginning, it's, it's medical schools and it's, you know, it's the system that everybody comes up in and you've got to, you got to fight that every day. And I think us as consumers too, we have to be more informed about that and just a little more skeptical perhaps. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I teach third year um, family practice residents in my clinic. They rotate through for a, a month. These are people who are the third year of residency and yeah. they're about to go into practice. And one of the things that shocks every one of them is that I get a fasting insulin level on all my patients every three months. And they've actually never heard of a fasting insulin level. And I go into why an elevated insulin level is so important in, in this book and others. And they never even heard about it. Yeah. And so they're, you know, they're going to be, you know, GPs in, in a couple of months and they don't have any idea why that might be really important information to have. And when they see how important it is, they go, oh my gosh, you know, why didn't anybody teach me this? And it's because quite frankly, if people really knew how metabolically inflexible we are, which I talk a lot about in the book, yeah. that they'd all be scared to death and they'd go, oh, I don't want X, Y, and Z drugs. I want you to teach me how to eat, please. And yeah, no, it's a, it's a lot that, uh, that you're up against, but I appreciate the work you're doing. I appreciate that you're still writing these books and, you know, doing appearances like this and seeing patients. I mean, it, it, every little bit helps and every little bit of information that gets out there, hopefully will, uh, will change people for the better. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I do it. That's why I have my own podcast, the Dr. Gundry podcast, is, uh, you know, I, people want this information and I'm going to keep giving people new information that I think can really help, you know, change people's lives. Or at least if you've got a great life already, I'll show you how to keep it great for a long time in the future. Dr. Stephen Gundry there. Really fascinating stuff. If you're interested in learning more about Dr. Gundry's dietary recommendations, his new book is Unlocking the Keto Code, the revolutionary new science of keto that offers more benefits without deprivation. His recommendations have nothing to do with eating trays of bacon, <laughs> lots and lots of cheese. It is healthy and sustainable and good for you. Also check out the book, The Plant Paradox. And Dr. Gundry has his own podcast as well, the Dr. Gundry Podcast. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts. And again, shout out to my wife, Seema Bites, S-E-E-M-A-B-I-T-E-S on Instagram and YouTube for sharing the recipes with our family and friends that she's been trying as well. I would also say if you're interested in learning more about some of the problems with industrial agriculture and just the way that animals are raised and things like that, I talked to Diana Rogers, who made a film and wrote a book, Sacred Cow. Look up that interview. That's good listening as well. And even my interview with Nick Offerman, a lot of these issues came up. And uh, he and I unexpectedly fell into a discussion about food and things like that. And also my conversation with Lydia Bastianich. We talked a lot about traditional Italian uh, methods of preparation and storage and things like that. And a lot of those things aligned very closely with what Dr. Gundry's talking about. So 
it's interesting when sort of all these pieces overlap and you realize that this isn't one person's idea or, you know, just one train of thought, but that a lot of people are, are thinking similar things and are coming at the problem from a very similar approach. And I think it's worth considering some of these ideas. Again, it's worked for our family. Maybe it'll work for you too. Who knows? So thank you, Dr. Gundry, for being my guest today. I am at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. I do have my weekly newsletter that I'm publishing every week. Podcast is out every other week right now. Go to heathrosella.com slash newsletter to sign up for that. Talk to you soon. Stay safe.